guys can have a seat. Man, it's always so unique to follow a song like that with something as ridiculous as the fact that on my driver's license, it says that I am five foot ten. But true confession, confession this morning to start things off, uh, I am not five foot ten. I am actually five foot nine and three quarters of an inch. Yeah, so now you guys know my deep dark secret that I'm not five foot ten. And the reality is that I've actually been this height since I was in sixth grade. And I'm 35 years old now, so unfortunately, I am done growing, apparently. Apparently, I cannot grow anymore. And so that is tragic for me because I really do wish I was taller. And in fact, I've, I've looked into, is there a possible way where I can be taller? And I can. Uh, if I'm willing to spend $75,000 or $200,000, somewhere in that range, um, I can get a surgery. Well, they break both my legs, um, and for months and possibly years, I would go through rehab. But I could be five inches taller if I decided to do that. And so, you know, it's a possibility. I'm going to hold on to it in the back of my mind. If you guys ever see me walking around here a couple years later and I'm taller, you know that somehow we, we got all that money together. We made that happen. Uh, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, obviously, we all want to grow in something, right? And there are other things, believe it or not, that I want to grow in more than just a quarter of an inch. Um, I want to be a better husband. My friend Tyler and I, who is up here singing, we go to the Jewish Community Center and we work out, right? We're trying to, you know, we're trying to grow our muscles, right? And then kind of decrease the growth here. But there's all, there's things that we want to grow in, right? And the reality is we have to ask the question, then how, right? We have a what that we want to grow in, but then we have to ask the question, how? And when you look up here on the screen, you can see, like, these are some common, these are some common what's for people. There's all this, you know, money that people will spend in terms of, you know, what they put things into. And so you'll see those popping up on the screen here. But those are all good what's. And we will literally spend billions of dollars, time, energy, effort into making those things happen, right? And so some of them are really absurd, <laughs> like breaking your legs. Um, but some of them, you know, they actually make a lot of sense, right? Like even, again, Isaac and Tyler and I were reading a Christian leadership book in our discipleship group because we want to grow as men who are leaders both in our families and our lives, our workplace, and the church. As Christians, our what is really simple. This is one of those times where you're in church and you're like, I think the answer is Jesus. You're right. It's Jesus. That is our what. When we talk about the church and what we believe and what we are all about, um, our what is Jesus. Where we have some variances is the how, right? How do we grow in that relationship with Jesus? How do we grow in our faith? How do we grow in these things? And there's all different types of churches and denominations and leaders and thinkers and people who have different philosophies on, on how that can happen. And so that's why for us, right, as we're coming in here with all these different backgrounds, all these different experiences. Maybe you grew up in the church. Um, maybe church is something that's new to you. Maybe your background in life, right? Like maybe your household was just one where your parents were really intense disciplinarians 
And so like that's how you kind of tend to think about how your faith should be lived out, right? Like there's this discipline. Maybe you had like more laissez-faire parents who were just like, I don't know where my kid is. He's somewhere, right? There's always that little commercial back in the day that's, do you know where your children are? Right? Like my parents were like, I don't know where he is. But like maybe that's your background and you're going to bring that into how you practice your faith, right? And so for us, it's really important as we're coming together at different life stages, different backgrounds, all of those things, we have to begin to define some of that how in terms of how that looks for this community. And so that's why we've been going into this series that we started the other week called Famcabulary, right? We want to create some of that shared understanding that leads to shared ownership. It's like when you sit down at the family table and you have that conversation. We talked about this the other week, like, what do you mean when you say what you say? Why do you do the things that you do? What is our plan? What is our action step? And so last week, we dove specifically into some of the mission statement of Steel City Church. As we begin to unpack over the course of the series some of the how, what is Steel City Church about, and then how are we growing in our faith, how are we living that out, we looked at that mission statement that we have that says, we exist, we exist to help people learn and live the ways of Jesus. But what we did was we really focused in on that what two weeks ago. We focused in on the what of Jesus And what we saw about Jesus and what we learned, and this is just a little recap, is that Jesus is reigning as king. Um, He is king. He is Lord. He is sovereign overall. He's been given authority, right? And he invites us to be his people. Um, That's part of the plan, that he wants to work in us. He wants to work through us as earth as it is in heaven, right? Even as Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's part of earth, as Pittsburgh as it is in heaven. And so we focused on that what because it is super, super important. Like if we're gonna talk about who our church is and how we grow in our faith, then it really still comes back to that what of Jesus. Now if you weren't here two weeks ago, man, go check that talk out online. Chris mentioned it earlier, you have your connect card. You can say, hey, I'd like to learn more about the Christian faith or maybe there's some type of response that you wanna make on there. We have people here that would love to talk to you more about that what. But today, we're going to focus a little bit more on the how. Um, How do we grow as people learning and living the ways of Jesus, right? How do we grow as as people learning and living the ways of Jesus? And so to do that, we're going to look at a story, just a little microcosm of Jesus' life in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. And what we're going to see in these verses is that they actually provide a really simple framework for the ways of Jesus that we can learn and live. As we zoom in on Jesus' life, there's going to be a couple of things that we're going to dial in on and just see like, man, this is something that we can do. Um, As Steel City Church, all together, we can actually live some of these things out. And so when we go to Luke chapter 6, we need some, you know, just a little context, a little background to figure out where we are and how this framework applies to us, right? So last week, if you were here, two weeks ago, if you were here, right, we were at that point where Jesus is walking along the beach and he calls the disciples to him. Um, As we pick things up here in Luke chapter six, um, that's already happened. So Jesus has started his ministry. He's been preaching in the synagogues. He's called some people to be with him. He's actually done some miracles. So he's healed a leper, you know, he's uh, healed a paralytic, Really, some of the things that are starting to go on now is like he's actually starting to make these really big claims about himself, so some God-level claims. He's saying, oh man, that paralytic, not only can I heal him, I can actually forgive his sins. And so some of the religious leaders are around and like, wait a second, only God can forgive sins. And they start kind of putting it together like, what is this guy saying about himself? That's a pretty bold claim. 
Uh, there's a couple times, again, as we get to this section in Luke chapter 6, where you know, Jesus literally makes a claim that he is Lord of the Sabbath, right? The Lord's day. He says, yeah, I'm Lord of the Lord's day. And so again, some of the religious leaders are like, all right, dude, like, you need to chill with what you're saying. And so they're starting to get frustrated with him. They're starting to come up with some plans and some plots for some ways that they want to address this guy, possibly get rid of this guy. And so that's where we pick things up in Luke chapter 6. He's got crowds, he's got disciples, and now some people are starting to get angry with him. And so if you guys want to go ahead and open your Bible, you can also follow along on the screen or pull out your phone or whatever it is that you use to engage with the Word of God. But we are going to dive into Luke six twelve right here. And so this is what it says. In these days, so everything we just talked about, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he had named apostles. Then he goes and lists all of the disciples. After those 12, it says, And then he came down with those 12 and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. What I love about this verse, this section of verses, it is a real-world example of the way that Jesus' life has just a lot of chaos going on around it, right? He has this huge decision to make. These 12 guys, this word apostle, right? He has these other disciples um, that are all around him from this pool of people that he's picking from, but he's literally picking these 12 people that are going to be apostles, and apostles literally mean, means the ones that are going to be sent, the ones that are going to be sent out. These are the sent ones that Jesus is going to literally build the church on. And so it's this huge decision that he's making, right? He's got people breathing down his back, the religious leaders who are frustrated with him. He's got crowds of people that just can't leave him alone. They, they want to hear him. Some of them want to be healed. They have all this stuff going on. So the crush of life is going on around him. The pressure of a decision that he has to make is going on in his head and his heart. And I think that's something that we can all relate to. We're like, y'all know what life is like. How many of you, just a quick show of hands, how many of you feel stressed at all this morning? Any type of stress, show of hands. Yeah, that's life, right? <laughs> like, we know what that's like. Maybe it's a deadline at work. Maybe it's the demands of our kids. Maybe it's our health or a loved one around us, but we feel the crush of the world around us going on all around us all the time. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, I think it's important to remember that sometimes. Like when we're looking at this framework, when we're looking at him as our example, when we say we want to learn and live his ways, oftentimes the life of Jesus isn't happening in a vacuum, right? But it's happening in real world, nitty gritty, everyday situations. And so when we try to learn from him, it's not like we're some type of distant, unrelated, unsympathized, unempathized person with him. Um, but he can be in there and be in that with us. And so as we look at those frameworks, as we look at this set of verses, what we see is there are three ways that in the midst of real life, everyday, chaos, nitty-gritty, 
pressure cooker world, there are three ways that Jesus orients himself. The first way is that Jesus has an upward orientation, right? Look what he does in the midst of, it says, in those days, what does he do? He goes up to the mountain and he prays all night. I don't know about you, I don't think I've ever stayed up all night praying. <laughs> I've fallen asleep praying. Uh, I've definitely woken up and started to pray sometimes, but right, like, he literally is like, I've got this thing to make, this decision to make, and I'm going to go spend time with my Father. It's important to note that, right, Jesus is God, um, and yet he still makes time to go spend time with the Father as he's about to enter this important decision. What we see in Scripture that this isn't the only time this happens. Um, this should even give us maybe a call back, right, to the stained glass right here. The, right, he goes and spends the night in the garden before he goes to the cross praying for this important thing that's about to happen. There's actually 25 times that we see in the New Testament where Jesus goes and gets time away to go commune and pray and connect with his Father. Right? Because it's an important relationship, this vertical relationship that he has with God. That's one of the ways that we see him orient himself. But it's not just an upward relationship. Obviously, we see there's a horizontal relationship. We see there's two different groups of people that Jesus has interactions with after he goes to his father. First is the disciples and the apostles, but then there's also the crowd. With the apostles and the disciples, there's that inward orientation, an inward relationship that he has. Think about this, right? There's already a pool of people who have been following him, and yet from that pool, he's choosing these 12. We know that through the rest of scriptures, through the rest of the time that Jesus is doing his earthly ministry, that he spends day and night with these guys, pouring into them, right? He invites them to come even watch the next time he prays at night, and they're back there sleeping because, you know, they're people, and that's what we do, right? So I don't have to feel as bad when I fall asleep during prayer because at least the apostles did it, right? But it's one of those things. It's the people that he pours into. He has this relationship, this family, this community that he creates. And then he's discipling them. He's building them up. He's equipping them, and he's sending them out. And that's the last orientation that we see. There's this outward orientation that Jesus has, right? He's engaging with disconnected people, um, it says in those scriptures, right, that there were people that came to hear him, and so he was preaching and teaching and telling them truth. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we said, what was Jesus' main message, right? The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. Repent, believe. There were people that were coming to hear that because there was authority and power, but there was also people that were just coming to be healed, right? They were sick. There were people that had different spiritual afflictions, and they just needed help, they needed physical, tangible relief, and they thought and believed and possibly hoped that Jesus could do that, right? And he doesn't seclude himself just with the Father, just with the 12, but he puts himself in a place, that outward orientation, where he is able to engage with people who are disconnected from God, who are disconnected even from just some of their basic physical needs. And so what we see is that these three orientations begin to form the framework for what we want to talk through for the rest of this morning, right? These three orientations form a framework, this up, in, and out, that we call our lifestyles at Steel City Church. When we say we want to learn and live the ways of Jesus, the ways that we're talking about are these lifestyles. We want to enjoy connection with God. We want to grow in that as a church. We want to invest in each other, and we want to grow in that as a church, 
And we want to be a church that engages the disconnected, right? People disconnected from Jesus, disconnected from the body and the community. And so, like I said earlier, we all have something that we want to grow in. I would say, man, if there's something that you want to grow in today, if you're thinking, man, how do I grow in my relationship with God? How do I grow in my relationship with the family of God and even others? Man, these are the things I would say let's spend a little bit of time focusing on and thinking of. And what we're going to do in order to make that happen is we're actually going to look at other examples of God's people that did this, right? We're not perfect. We know that. God's people, as God's people, we're definitely not perfect but sometimes, sometimes we get it right. And so one of the cool things about Scripture, as many times as we see God's people mess up in the Scripture, we see these times where, like, they get it, and it clicks. And so we're going to look to them for some of the examples for us, right? How do we live this out? Because none of us are Jesus. Um, you know, like I said, when we say Jesus was up all night praying, that can be really intimidating, Right? When we look even sometimes around other people, we can be like, ah, that's kind of intimidating when I think about their relationship with God or other people's relationships with God. And so we want to look to these examples, though, because we can help break some of those barriers down for us mentally. And so that first one, going back towards that framework, is that we enjoy connection with God, that upward lifestyle. Um, and to do that, to look at the people of God and how some people lived that out really well, we're going to be looking at a couple of verses in Isaiah 61. Um, and what we see in these verses in Isaiah 61 is that God has just revealed himself to these people, um, some characteristics about himself, but he's also given them this idea just in the preceding verses that there is a relationship that they can have with him that is an eternal relationship. He is an everlasting God. And so when you go look at the verses in Isaiah, you can see how the people respond to this. This is Isaiah 61, verse 10. It says they said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So how do we enjoy that connection with God? What we see in these verses, there's really three things. Um, first and foremost, we enjoy connection with God through salvation. Right? It says literally that, that they were clothed in the robes of righteousness. They were clothed in salvation. It's compared here, it says a headdress, right? It's like the tuxedo at your wedding, it's the bride's gown on her wedding day, right? We enjoy connection with God through salvation. And I'll say this simply, we can only first and foremost enjoy God through salvation. There is no other way that we can enjoy connection with the Father except through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Salvation is first and foremost our sin Right, the ways that we fail to reflect God in our actions, our attitude, the, the very being in nature, it, it separates us from God. Um, the consequences of that are death. But God, we saw this a couple weeks ago, he didn't leave us in that. He has had a plan since the beginning. Um, and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that plan is fulfilled. And so we can have new life in him. Right? We can have salvation in 
Jesus. If you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know about that. I'm not really sure about that. Like, man, we would love to talk to you. Maybe you have a barrier. There's something that's holding you back. You're like, I don't know if I really want to believe in this. I don't know if I really think that Jesus is the only way to have a connection with God, to enjoy that salvation that comes first and foremost. Like I said, put it on your connect card. Man, come talk to me afterwards. We'd love to connect with you more about that. But the reality is, for most of us in the room, this is a decision that we've already made. Um, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus. We believe in him as our savior. And so we have that initial moment or maybe that initial season in our life, but then we ask the question, okay, well, how do we continue to grow? How do we continue to grow? And I think the two key words for us, right, we, we grow in our relationship. We enjoy connection with God through salvation and cultivating a mindset of anticipation and celebration, Right, you look in these verses, it's so awesome. Like it literally compares salvation and God and his righteousness going out through the world. It compares it to like a plant being put in the ground and then sprouting up and sprouting out. This summer, my wife and I, we planted a sunflower. And I think there's gonna be a picture of it up here on the screen. There it is. Yeah, we planted this sunflower, okay? And I remember like when we planted it, I'd never planted a sunflower before. So we put it in the ground and I'm like, ah, every day I'm going and checking like when's it gonna come through, when's it gonna come through? And it finally burst to the ground, and I remember that being really exciting. I mean, it was like this tiny little plant. And I had some idea, right, of how big a sunflower should get, but even that moment was really cool, right? And I think for some of us, that's that first moment, right, where we've put our faith and trust, and it's like, oh my gosh, here's this new life, this new little thing coming out of the ground. As you can see, this thing got insane. Um, like, it literally was, like, thicker than my arm. Like, it was just growing, and, and it was, like, I'm Googling, like, how tall can sunflowers get? Like, I don't know. And we're watching it, and so I literally would like, I mean, multiple times throughout the day, I'm like, I'm gonna go look outside and see if it grew a little more, right? And then, I'm like, oh man, after it rained, I'm like, oh, I wonder if the rain made it grow a little, you know, like, which you're like, okay, come on, dude, like, you know about plants, they like take a little time, right? But it was one of those things, I remember like this fun, just kind of key, just like, ah, oh, this is such a joyous thing. I was driving past our shed, and I looked to the left, and the sunflower literally was taller than our shed, just peeking over, right? And, and, and it was just this awesome thing. Like, there was so much anticipation. Like, I knew a sunflower was going to grow. I knew this thing was going to happen, and yet I wanted to see it unfold. And I think when it comes to our connection with God, like, are you cultivating that mindset, that heart of anticipation? Right? Are you looking for the ways that God wants to work? It says in here, like, it's literally like sprouting up and going across out to all the nations, so like, as you come in here on Sunday, as you spend time in the word and you look at God's plan in the past, what he was doing, what he is doing, and even thinking about what he's going today, are you cultivating a heart of anticipation, of excitement, of joy? Are you looking for his goodness and saying, dude, I can't wait, I gotta go see what he's gonna go do next. I gotta go see what this looks like next. Even if you have some idea of what that looks like, know what a sunflower is. I knew what it was going to look like, but it was still really fun just to see how crazy could this really get? How big could this really get? Right? We've got to cultivate that heart. I think one of the challenges in our culture, though, right? I think we live in a world where there is a lot of anticipation, where we are often always looking ahead. What's coming next? What's coming next? And I think we have to cultivate a heart of that with God, but I think we also have to make sure that we take time to stop and celebrate what God has done as well. Right? If we're constantly always looking forward to what's next, man, I think it dulls some of that reality of being able to stop and praise God for what he's done. 
you know, we see this in here where, again, they're rejoicing, they're exalting God. But they don't just do it for the day that salvation happens, they do it for the continued growth that's happened. My wife and I, we just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary. We went to Michigan State and watched the Spartans win, 6-0, so, you know, it's nice to support a winning team. And, you know, Steelers, whatever, uh, one team in my heart. So, but we got to go celebrate, and yeah, we talked about our wedding day. We talked about our wedding day, and it was great. Um, but we didn't just celebrate that day. We celebrated the ways that, like, as we looked back on that day, and here's what we thought marriage would be like, and here's some of the things that we thought we'd see happen, and here's some of the things that we hoped would happen. We also spent time celebrating that, too. Right? We need anticipation. We need to cultivate that heart and have an expectant and hopeful heart for what God's going to do. But we also just have to take some time and pause and reflect back and go, Hey, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for where you've brought us. Thank you for what you're doing right now. And God, I pray that we can see the ways and then celebrate the ways that you're moving as we're going forward. So that's how we cultivate and begin to grow in that connection, that upward connection with God. Like I said, our framework today, there's three parts to it. And so that second one is that inward connection. How do we invest in each other? How do we grow at being people who invest in each other? And so again, as we look to the people of God as an example, this time we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. Uh, In these chapters, uh, Paul, one of the followers of Jesus, not an original follower, but a guy who has this amazing conversion, right? His life is transformed. His life has changed. And so he goes and he starts all these new churches Um, This is one of the churches that he helped start, and so he's writing this letter to them. It's really a letter of encouragement. Um, In the first three chapters, he, like, hardcore hits on, like, the gospel, right? Hey, guys, I'm going to remind you of the ways that we enjoy connection with God. But then he makes this transition in chapter 4, and that's where we start to pick things up, right? How do God's people live in light of that connection that they enjoy with God? How do they live with each other? How do they invest into each other? And so like I said, we start in verse 11 to get an idea for that. Um, And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ." So how do we invest in each other through community, right? I think that's the key part first and foremost, right? If it's through salvation that we enjoy connection with God, it's through community that we are able to invest in each other, right? We see this, that this is something that Jesus gave us. Um, He actually gave us a community that we call the church. Um, We talk about the big C church, the church universal, the church global throughout time and history, but we also talk about the local church, Right, this local community, this local body that we're connected with. 
Um, what's awesome here is like Jesus lists, our, Paul lists out all these things that Jesus gave us, right? Apostles and preachers and evangelists and saints. If you're in this room and you follow Jesus, you are literally one of those. I don't know which one you are. Maybe you're an evangelist. You know, maybe you're a preacher. Um, but at the minimum, at the minimum, you are a saint. And it says that we are all called to do that work of ministry, Right, so God has given us this community. God has given us this body where we can invest in and build up and equip one another. I do think, though, in our culture today, there's a trendiness or this kind of mindset where people often say, well, I love Jesus, but I do not like the church. Right? Jesus, awesome. Super cool, all about him, but the church sucks. And, man, I get it, and I want to be really careful with this because I absolutely I think that we need to have some critique at times. We need to take a sober look and have a sober understanding of the ways that the church maybe needs to grow, um, where we fall short. But here's what I'd say to that. We need to also be really careful with that statement. And here it talks and gives this image where it says, Jesus united himself to the body. He's the head and the church is the body. When you disconnect yourself from the church, and say, I like Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church, you're literally flying in the face of what Jesus did. He said, I'll unite myself with this body. Imperfections, brokenness, challenges, and all. I will unite myself with this body. And you say, ah, I don't want anything to do with the body. It's like saying I worship a decapitated head. It's kind of weird and kind of gross, so don't do that. But it's also insulting. It's also insulting to the fact that you said, I will unite myself with this. Right? In other places, we see Jesus give the analogy where like, he is the groom and the church is the bride. I think this one hits me a little harder, being married. Right? If someone said, hey, dude, you're super cool, but your wife sucks, I would be like, I'm going to fight you now. Right? Like, I'm like, no, like, you can't say that about my wife. Right? Like, man, my wife will tell you she's not perfect, and, and she would do the same thing if someone went to her and said, hey, you're cool, Leah. And people do say this, actually, so I guess, you know, maybe she's not as intense about it as I would be. No, but I think she would stand up for me. They said, you know, if they said that to her, like, hey, Leah, you're cool, but your husband kind of sucks, you know? She'd be like, whoa, like, what? We're one. We're together. Like, yeah, I know my husband's not perfect, but come on, you know? And so I think it's really important for us to remember that reality, right, that it's through this community that Jesus has united himself with, that he gives us the opportunity to invest in one another. And so we can't do these other parts, right? Because I think if we have that community, then in that community we want to pursue unity and maturity, but we can't do those things if we don't have community to be with, right? He says when we look at unity, right? Um, unity of the faith is what he says in these verses, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Right, so often, again, in church, I'm so excited because Chris is actually going to be preaching more on the idea of unity, right? How can we be united in Christ and, and unique in our expression? So often in church, and it happens all over, we divide over things that have nothing to do with the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We divide over, you know, the style of the music or the color of the carpet or where this place should be located or, you know, who's leading this or who's doing what, right? And we start to get into ideas of preferences, like, I want it this way and it's my way or the highway, right? We start to even sometimes idolize practices, practices that can even be genuinely good, but they get stripped away. They're not attached to this reality of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, 
You know, we talk about this, one of the ways the analogies that we use for this is like for us at Steel City, um, there are core doctrines of the Christian faith that we want to be close-handed on, right? Who Jesus is, who God is, what the relationship between God and man and sin and brokenness is. Um, The authority of scripture is a huge one for us, but there's a lot of things that are secondary issues, right? Like, you know, what color should the carpet be, you know? Or what does this look like? Or what do people think about this, right? But the problem is, you know, these things that we want to hold on to and these things that we want to have an open hand with, when we have that open hand, we can grasp other people's hands and we can actually link together and work together. But a lot of times what we do is we take these things and we've got it close-handed, but then we take those secondary things and we make them close-handed and you get two fists. And churches that do that, all they do is fight everybody else. I'm serious. All they do is fight everybody else, and then eventually they die, right? Because what are they holding on to? It's, it's not about the knowledge of God. Well, it's not about unity and faith, but it's about preferences and practices and holding on to things that we don't need to hold on so tightly. Now, I think it's important to not just hit on unity. Like, we love community and we love unity, but if you look in these verses, it also says that we are growing towards maturity, we can be tossed about. There are schemes, there are doctrines, there are things that are going on in this world. And so sometimes when we gather together, I think this is one of the hardest things when we actually talk about community, right? Because it says we need to hear truth and love. And if I'm gonna be 100% honest with you, I hate those moments. I hate those moments when my wife pokes me with truth and love because I know she's right and it's touching that squishy area of my heart where I am broken and she's calling out my sin when Chris has to do that for me, when the Spirit does that in me and convicts me and I have to go to other brothers and sisters and be like, I'm broken, (laughs) I need to grow. Let's have this growth and truth and love and maturity together. And so for you guys, that's where I'd say like, when you come to church, when you're a part of the body, when you're a part of the community, man, have fun, have fellowship, enjoy one another, ask how each other are doing, But I ask you, like, are you also seeking to grow in maturity? Or are you you here because you just like the social club aspect of it? Like, we want to be sharpened. We want to be refined. It's why, again, I love gathering in the mornings on Wednesday with Isaac and Tyler. Because I know that's going to be a space where I get sharpened. Where I'm going to hear truth and love. And so I'd ask, do you guys have spaces like that? Do you have spaces like that where we can grow in maturity? Those are the things that we want to grow in as we invest in each other through community, with, your, with unity, and the pursuit of maturity. So finally, that third orientation is outward. Right? How do we engage the disconnected? And so again, one last time, again, we look to another example of God's people. This time we are in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11. Again, another early church community that Paul's writing to. This time these guys were in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. A military city, a lot of people who were military generals retired to this city. Uh, Roman soldiers were retiring to this city. So it's very tough, kind of like hard-nosed, right? Just battle-worn people. And yet here's what Paul tells them to do, right? These soldiers, these tough guys, He reminds them of living a life worthy of the gospel, starting in verse 5 and going through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So how do we engage the disconnected? Right, people who don't have that relationship, that connection with God, or maybe people who do have that, but they don't have that family. They don't have that community. They're disconnected from church. How do we engage the people like that? How do we grow in that? Well, first and foremost, we see it's done personally. It's through our personal lives. Right, when we read in these verses, it says that Jesus did not grasp, you know, did not grasp equality as something with God to hold on to, but he actually entered into this world. Right? He made it personal. At one point, every single human <laughs> had no connection with God apart from Christ. And God could have left him that way, but he took on flesh gave up his position and entered the world and made it a personal thing. I'm going to pursue this personal relationship with you. You know, I think for us, when we think about, hey, how do we do this personally? It can be so, so, so easy to rely on other people to do that, especially to rely on people who work in the church to do it. Oh, man, this person will do it on Sunday. These people singing will do it on Sunday. This person preaching this program, or maybe if I just send this video, or if I just do this thing, everybody else can do this except me. I think with that, there's kind of two reasons, right? Like sometimes it's just like, I don't want to, I'm afraid, or I'm uncertain, or how's this gonna go, right? So there's that barrier just in our own heart and our own mind of like, we're worried about how this is gonna go. I think sometimes we've just been programmed that way. Right, just our culture says like, hey, like this organization will make this happen. We'll even go back to the verses we read before this where it says like, no, no, no. Like you're an evangelist, you're a preacher, you're a shepherd, you're a saint, and we are all being equipped to do the ministry, right, that builds up the body. And so we have to do it first and foremost through our personal lives. It's personal. One thing I want to say with that too is as, as we consider this, look, I have a few stats. I saw these on my notes, so I almost forgot them. Um, 69% of disconnected people, this is research done by LifeWay, 69% of disconnected people are unlikely to attend a church service. And almost half of that group says that they're extremely unlikely to attend a church service, right? So the people you think, I'm gonna invite them here and they're gonna hear Zach. You're probably not thinking that. You probably think Chris. They're gonna hear Chris. What weeks is Chris preaching? That's when I'll invite my friends, right? But 69% of the people that you think, man, maybe I can invite them. They're not gonna come. Listen to this though. 79% of people say, if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind talking about it. Personal. Not here. It's out there. It's you having that conversation. If you really value your faith, if you live your faith out, 79% of people say, I don't mind talking about that. 
Now, whether they're going to agree with it or ultimately come to believe the same thing you do, they at least see, hey, this is important to this person, my friend. And we can talk about it. To say it's, it has to be personal. There's a sacrificial and eternal component to that too, though. Right? Like it takes us stepping out of our comfort zones to do that. Jesus literally stepped out, stepped in personally to the point that he would be willing to go die on a cross. So the time that you give, the energy that you give, the effort that you give, there's going to be a sacrificial component to it. Um, it's scary to engage with people sometimes. It's scary to initiate that conversation. But we step into that the same way Christ did, and then there's an eternal component, right? How do we grow in engaging the disconnected? It's personally, it's sacrificially, but it's eternally. There are a lot of people out there, a lot of people out there, right, that are very personal in the way that they engage with people, and they're sacrificial. There's a million different philanthropical organizations that do this amazingly, the piece that's missing, and even I can confess to this, this is the one I think I can struggle with the most, is, is actually bringing in the eternal. Right? We can come alongside people, and we can get into their life, man, and we can even meet some physical needs. But what does it say at the end here? That there is going to be a time when every knee bows. And I think for us, are we actually communicating that to people? Are we communicating the gospel? Are we communicating the truth about Jesus to others? Are we having conversations that revolve around something eternal? Look, we're not going to be perfect at those conversations. Trust me. I'm not, and I've been working in a church for over 11 years. I've been serving in a church since I was in high school. But we can trust in God. We can trust in his grace that as we have those conversations that he's able to work. Right, as we have a community, we can go back to that community and go, man, I had this conversation, and it went really well, and we can celebrate it. We can anticipate what God's going to do. Or maybe we go back to our community and go, hey, I bombed that conversation, and I don't even know what's going to happen next with that person. Um, but hey, God, we need you, and the community comes around you, and they help you even grow in that unity and maturity and anticipation and celebration. Right? But we have to do those things if we want to grow. So that's what it looks like for us personally. Right? We commit ourselves to doing those things. If we want to learn and live the ways of Jesus, we say, man, I'm going to live this upward, inward, and outward lifestyle. But what does that look like for us as a church, as a body? You see this Venn diagram up there behind me? We as a church, as Steel City, the organization, we seek to create spaces that are helping to catalyze y'all to grow in those things. Right? If you look at our Sunday gathering, for example, it's in that up sphere. When you come in here on Sunday mornings, we want to create a space where you're going to hear about Jesus, right? Where there's an opportunity as we sing the songs, right? The Lion of Judah, where we are anticipatory of how God is going to work. And I know that when we come in through these doors, there's a lot that we're bringing in. I would ask you as you come into this space on Sundays, how are you thinking through it? How are you leveraging it? Is it something just to go, man, I like it, and I just need to check it off my box and then continue on with the rest of my day? Even if you have a good mindset when you're coming in with that, or maybe you're like, ah, man, free church. Got to get it done and get out of the way, right? But, man, I would say, like, our mindset when we're here needs to be one of, like, no, I'm coming in to literally enjoy connection with God the Father, with a group of people. And if ever there was a time we've been reminded of how important that is, it's been the past year and a half in the midst of COVID, in the midst of when there's been so many challenges of being, being able to be together with people, think back to that first time 
where we couldn't gather because of COVID and we finally got to be back together, how awesome that was. It was freaking amazing. But then we meet, and then we meet, and then we meet, and that we kind of get dulled to that reality of how amazing that is. We need to spend time then stopping and being reminded, and that's where the celebration piece comes in, of how great this truly is. How amazing it is that the Squirrel Hill Christian people are allowing us to gather together with them. It's a beautiful thing. So you look at that space, there's an up. Our inward spaces are our discipleship groups. Uh, Just a quick show of hands, how many of you are in a discipleship group? Yeah, look around. It's a huge thing for our church. It's that space where we get to actually get in there with one another and say, hey, let's go back to these things that we're united around. Let's challenge and sharpen each other truth and love to grow in maturity. If you're not a part of one of those and you're interested in one of those, we have a whole process that you can go through um, where we actually even ask some questions about up, in, and out to help you get into a community, you know, three to five guys, three to five women who are just going to be a part of pouring into your life and sharpening you. But we'd love to have you be a part of one of those. Our engage events, that's where we have that outward orientation. We do those about once a month. Actually, the next one that we have coming up is October 23rd. It's a Friday. We have the Summit Church. They have a a band, a guy that's from Oil City, Western PA, but he lives in North Carolina now, amazing musician. And he's just going to come in and he's going to play a show at Huff's. Um, And it's an opportunity for us to engage with our neighbors, engage with people who may never, ever, ever without an absolute work of God, walk into these walls. And so we go out there, and we engage with people who are disconnected. Our connect groups do stuff once a month, too, where they go out and they seek to connect with people. But those engage events are an awesome opportunity for us to just have a space where we can invite people, an easy invitation to something that they might not otherwise come to. Um, Last, you can see on here, we have our connect groups, and they're in the middle. You know, with our connect groups... We put them there because in a lot of ways they're like little mini churches. Um, We want them to have that balance where there's an aspect of an opportunity to engage and connect with God, to invest in each other. Um, That's why we go do the once a month Go Connect weeks to go engage people who are disconnected. Um, We really, really genuinely believe this and I want to thank DJ DJ Jellison. I know it's, it's like when you say ATM, by the way, I just want to say this for DJ. It's Donald Jellison, but everyone calls him DJ Jellison, so I just think that's awesome. But DJ Jellison said this awesome thing the other day. He said, are we a church with connect groups? It doesn't matter what the name is. Are we a church with communities that actually engage, right, that invest, and then enjoy connection? Are we a church just with those? Are we a church of those? I genuinely believe and would love for us to be a church of those, where we have communities across the city, in every neighborhood, on every college campus. Chris will talk about this next week, that look unique to their context, to the people that are in them, that are united around Christ, that are, that are growing in these things together, um, and then growing as a group together, and multiplying out just like the early church, just like the early church put community after community after community and city after city and town and town after place. That's part of our vision of what we want to see happen. We'd love to see some of those communities grow into churches and, and be a part of a fabric, a mesh like network across the city where we know that the gospel is going out. I mean, that doesn't just have to be under the banner of Steel City. 
And there are amazing other gospel-centered churches. We want to partner with other organizations and communities and people that are about some of the same things here. They're going to look different than us, and that's okay. But we want to see the city saturated with community like this, and we want to be a part of building that. And like I said, it'll look different. For us, we have a rule and rhythm of how that looks. We use this rule and rhythm and this value of everyday discipleship every day. We want to keep it simple. You look at the diagram, we're not doing so much. We want to keep it simple. Other places are going to do it different. They're focused more on this thing or they're focused more on this area. For us, the reason that we want to keep it simple is because we do believe that the lifestyle of following Jesus is an everyday 24-7 thing. So simple, blue-collar, just everyday discipleship that happens every day. I want to walk you guys through a thought experiment and then close here. When we're gathered together, there's about two hours where we're with a connect group, about an hour and a half if you're in a discipleship group, an hour and a half if you're at a Sunday gathering. Um, and then if you volunteer outside of any of those spaces, so there's some amazing people we have in our church that volunteer um, and they're doing stuff outside of these spaces, that ends up being about 10 hours a week. Now, if you go look at your scattered life throughout Pittsburgh, um, there's 168 hours in your week. Uh, if you get eight hours of sleep a night, you'll spend 56 of those hours sleeping. So that brings you down to, you know, a little bit like 112. Um, and then if you subtract 10 hours that you're with the church, you have 102 hours of your week are scattered. So if you look at that, that's 91% of your week is spent beyond the walls and confines of your church community. And we're excited about that. Chris and I, as your pastors, we are excited about that. Because the reality is, is the opportunity that you have to influence and impact and expand God's kingdom happens out there. We want this to be a place for you. We hope, man, 9% of your week could be, this could be a place where you spend it. And we can pour into you and we can invest into you and we can help catalyze the life that you live. But I'm a hundred times more excited about the time that we spend here actually being catalytic to that other 91% of your life that's lived where you work, that's lived where you play, that's in your house, that's with your family, that's with your friends. If you want to be a part of a community that is seeking to grow and this up, in, out orientation that's seeking to learn and live the ways of Jesus that's going to do it in a simple, everyday, blue-collar-like way with a mentality of how do we saturate the city 24-7 every day? How do I grow and live in this every day? That's part of our invitation to you. That's why we want to do this series, this vocabulary, this language, that shared understanding, and this is what we're about, shared ownership. We'd love to have you be a part of that. If you're like, I don't know if this is the place for me. We'd love to help you find another church that maybe is a better fit then. But one way or the other, we want to see this city reach for Jesus. And if it's here, great. If it's somewhere else, great. But let's, like, let's be part of the team of people, community of people, not just here, but across the city that actually makes that happen. And so as we close today, um, let's be people who learn and live this week. I just have three questions for you. Would you just think through where do you need to grow? Up and out. What is an area that you need to grow in?
then go talk to someone else about it, another believer and say, hey, this is an area I know I need to work in, that I want to grow in, that I want to see God work in. Take a next step and get more connected, involved with Steel City. You know, if you look at that diagram, there is overlap even in some of the places. Come on Sunday, serve. Invest in each other. Get into a discipleship group. I'd say the primary place that you could connect, first and foremost, if you're not a part of something, is join a connect group. In fact, you have to be in a connect group if you even want to be in a discipleship group because that's how important those things are to us. We'd love to have you be a part of that. And then last, make a plan. Um, make a plan for how you want to live up, in, and out with your scattered hours this week. We've got the plan for you. Discipleship group, connect group, Sunday engage events. That's taken care of. What does that other 91% of your week look like? What is your plan to enjoy connection with God? What is your plan to invest in other people with that 91%? Um, and what is your plan to engage with the disconnected? We want to take this time now before prayer and moving into communion and worship. On your way in, hopefully you're in the backs of your seats, you got a connect card. And we just want to give you a few minutes just to pause in the midst of just, again, the chaotic crush of the everyday world and just to reflect for a moment and respond. You know, on the bottom, there's a blank spot where you can write a prayer request. Um, it doesn't even have to be a request. It could be something that you've seen God doing that you're excited about. We love praying for you. We pray on Friday mornings, Casey McNiff, 7.30 in the morning, has a prayer time every week. Our leaders, our pastors, our people pray for you. You can start filling those out. We'll give you a few minutes, and then I'll close in prayer. life that you gave on our behalf so that we could have that connection with you. Lord God, the community that you've given us, that you have united yourself with, calling it your body, your bride, you take us with our imperfections, with our brokenness, not just personally but collectively, and then you work to unite us and transform us into a people that are going to be built up and sent out to engage the world on your behalf, to bring about your will as earth as it is in heaven. 
as pit, in Pittsburgh as it is in heaven, God. And so I just pray that, that as we continue to think about our lives, as we go out into that 91%, that scattered rhythm for the rest of our week, Lord God, would you just help us to remember how we want to grow in you, that you are the what that is worth growing in. So help us, Lord, to know and to grow in how, how we can live that out faithfully, how we can learn and live your ways. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.